There's the uh, fictional story, I'm sure you've heard it before, about a mother wishing um, to encourage her young uh, son's progress uh, learning the piano. And so she, brought, uh, she bought some tickets to um, Ignace uh, Padawiski's performance. Uh, he was one of Poland's most famous concert pianists. When that night arrived for that, that concert, uh, they found their way to the seats to the near of the, of the auditorium concert hall and they eyed that beautiful Steinway piano that just stood out there on, that, uh, on the stage. The mother became distracted talking to one of her friends off the side and, and she didn't realize that her son had slipped away. <laughs> When 8 o'clock, um, you know, the concert was to start, the spotlights uh, came on and the audience quieted and only then did they notice this little boy up there on the bench behind that uh, piano, innocently beginning to pick out his song, the only song that he knew, Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. <laughs> his mother gasped. But she uh, couldn't uh, retrieve her son quite quick enough because the master um, came uh, onto the stage and he quickly moved um, uh, to the keyboard and he whispered in that little boy's ears, don't quit, don't quit, keep playing. Leaning over, Padawiski uh, reached down with his left hand and he just began filling in on the bass part. And then soon his right arm reached around the other side and encircled that little boy at that piano bench, adding a, a, a running obbligato on the other side. And together that old master and that young little novice held that crowd mesmerized. Throughout this study that we've been going through here in 2 Corinthians, uh, the Apostle Paul has reminded us over and over again that God, the Master, he surrounds you and I, he surrounds us with our human weaknesses and our human frailties, and he whispers in our ear time and time and time again, don't quit, keep on Plain, because, it, 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 because it's through your weaknesses, it, it's through your frailties, it's, it's through your sufferings that I'm going to put on display my glorious beauty and awesome power. This morning we come once again uh, and we're going to be reminded um, that uh, when life is difficult, when, when things get... <sighs> Uh, become a struggle for us. Specifically in the area of finances, God's resources are enough. A, a teacher um, said to little Billy, said, Billy, if you have $2 and you ask your father for $4, how many dollars will you have? <laughs> little Billy answered, $2. <laughs> teacher shook her head, said, Billy, 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 you don't know your math. To which Billy simply responded, you don't know my father. <laughs> discussion of money, discussion of, of, of finances, um, uh, you know, discussion of giving <laughs> kicks up all sorts of emotions in us, doesn't it? I mean, some cringe, others 
We feel panic, others fear. Because of what I typically call the, the, the what if syndrome. You know, what if I lose my job? What if the interest rates, what if they go skyrocket high? You know, what if the stock market crashes? What if my parents leave everything to my brother instead of me? What if my spouse leaves me? What if, what if, what if, what if we play that game? <laughs> but I'm going to tell you this morning, if, if you stay with me today and you allow God's spirit to speak to you, I believe you can be in position, you can position yourself in, in such a way that if there is some sort of financial problem or if the bottom drops out and the interest rates go in whatever direction doesn't really help you, uh, <laughs> that you don't want them to go, the, the truth is there is a place, there is a place where you can be personally, where you can look up to God and you can say, God, as your steward, Obviously, you can see um, how things are going, and they're not going so well. But God, I got to tell you, I'm not worried. I'm not worried because you have been involved in my finances when things are great, and I'm going to trust you to continue to be involved in my finances even when things aren't going so well. I want to invite you to turn with me once again to 2 Corinthians. We continue our study through 2 Corinthians. We come now to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Now let me give you again the context of this passage. We need to be reminded what is taking place here when we get to this passage. Paul here, what he's doing is he's writing to a group of people in this church of Corinth who have promised they have made a promise, a pledge to set aside some of their money and then give that money, contribute that money in order to help the church in Jerusalem. Now, the believers in Jerusalem, um, they were um, being persecuted and they were suffering financially. And so Paul, he recognized this need in this uh, Jerusalem church and he also recognized the opportunity for the Gentile churches around the world to come alongside these Jewish believers there in that Jerusalem church and to support them. And so he starts collecting uh, from churches um, support, financial support from around the empire to help that church in Jerusalem. And in response to his request, the Corinthian church, these uh, Corinthians, they had pledged to support the Jerusalem church by taking up an offering and then sending it on to Jerusalem. In fact, they had made such a generous promise uh, of financial gifts that Paul has gone out and he has boasted about their financial gifts to other believers, specifically believers in Macedonia. So now it's a year later and Paul is ready to receive their promised gifts. Um, but as yet... They, they hadn't followed through on what they had pledged. So Paul is writing this letter and this portion of this letter in part to remind them of their commitment. Now, we don't know exactly why the, these Corinthian believers hadn't followed through with their commitment. Maybe, maybe times had gotten tougher in Corinth and 
they were concerned about their own financial needs. Or, or maybe um, there was no hardship and, and they just wanted to keep the money to themselves. Um, whatever the reasons, uh, they were reluctant to part with the money that they had committed. Now, we all know what that feels like, don't we? Right? I mean, <laughs> I mean we all want to be generous. Um, but then, all of a sudden, you know, something comes up. You know, the washing machine breaks down. Uh, an unexpected bill comes in. Uh, a repair in the house comes due. Um, it's not easy, right? It's not easy to part with money when it comes time to do so. I mean, that's the situation that this church in Corinth was encountering, that they found themselves in. For whatever reason, they had not yet come through with their financial gifts that they had promised. So in order to encourage them and to address their fears, what the Apostle Paul does is he reminds the Corinthians here of the law of the harvest. Look with me at verse 6, chapter 9, verse 6. The point is this, Paul says, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Um, now, evidently, that was a popular uh, saying in Paul's day, you know, something like uh, what we might say today, you know, what goes around comes around. <laughs> um, but, but Paul takes this popular saying and he uh, applies it to their giving. The law of the harvest. Every farmer knows the law of the harvest. The law of the harvest says you reap what you sow, you reap more than you sow, and you Reap later than you sow. I mean, listen, if you sow corn, right, you reap corn. I mean, you have to be pretty foolish um, to sow corn and expect that uh, when you go out to harvest, that'll be wheat. That'd be pretty foolish. Not only that, but the, the more you sow, the, the more you reap. Um, one corn seed can produce a stalk of, uh, with two or three ears, having hundreds of grains of corn. You also will reap later than you sow. I mean, sowing and reaping don't happen on the, the, the same day. In fact, it may take years in order to see your, your harvest. Paul then applies the same principle to finances. He says, the more you give, the more you gather. In, in the same way that the farmer who, who, who sows generously, reaps generously, a person who gives generously is blessed generously. Put another way, the more generously we give, the more abundantly God provides. Do you know what the farmer is doing when he follows, goes by the law of the harvest. He's inviting God to be involved in his farming, isn't he? <laughs> he knows that to reap a crop, he has to you know, reach into that bucket of, of seed and he has to, to sow it. And he asks God then to, to grow that seed. Hoarding seed and, uh, and keeping his bucket full for a later date, well, that won't do him any good. I mean, the farmer doesn't say, oh, God, please give me a crop. But listen, I don't want to sow any of my seed. God, I'm just going to trust you for a miracle. L listen, God, I want to just walk out there one day, and I, I just want to see the field full of corn. But God, listen, 
In the meanwhile, I just want to hold on to my seed because I might need that for a later date. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, come on. It'd be absurd for a farmer to do that. Now, I want you to understand, this is more than just a fundraising letter that Paul is, <laughs> is writing here. Paul's talking about a lifestyle. He, he's not talking just about a one-time offering. According to Paul, the best way to deal with financial pressure that comes into our lives is to give generously. That feels, I know, <laughs> it feels, to me, counterintuitive. I'm guessing it feels the same way to you. I mean, you think about it, the more generously you give, the more abundantly God provides. But see, Paul says, that's the law of the harvest. A mother gave her child one, a $1 bill and also gave her uh, child a quarter. Said, sweetheart, you can place either one in the offering plate when it goes by. This is the old days when they had offering plates. You can place either one in the offering plate when it goes by. It's entirely up to you. Um, later on, as they were driving home, the mother was kind of curious what the daughter had done. So she said, um, uh, what did you do? What did you do? What did you decide to give? And the daughter said, well, at first I was going to give a dollar. But the man behind the pulpit said, God loves a cheerful giver. So I felt I'd be much more cheerful. I'd just give the quarter. <laughs> I, mean, I, I mean, come on, face it. That's our typical response, Right. If I'm in need, shouldn't I, shouldn't I hang on to what I have? Not when you factor in the law of the harvest. Listen, if you want to not worry when you are facing those financial pressures, Paul says, you give generously. That word bountifully in the ESV is translated generously in the NIV, and it means to be liberal in giving in sharing. In the original Greek, it literally meant um, uh, being open-hearted. Um, generosity, see, it's the opposite of, of fear and stinginess. And I think all of us understand this principle. But the real question is, what does that mean in dollars and cents, really? I mean, what does generous um, living really look like? Well, first of all, According to, to verse 7, uh, generous giving is personal. Look with me, verse 7. Each one must give. Each one. Each one must give. Indicates that Paul here, he expected every believer in this church of Corinth to contribute something to this offering for Jerusalem. Now, I've got to remember that there are all kinds of people in this, in this church. Um, there were slaves, there were working class people, and there were wealthy. Um, some had much and, and some had little. Paul didn't expect them all to give the same amount, but he expected them all to give something. I mean, they, they couldn't be considered a, a generous church, and they couldn't look for an abundant harvest if if uh, some of them refuse to give. The same is true for the church today. Generosity begins with all of us, each one of us. Every Christ follower is invited to give, and there are no exceptions. Now, while it's likely that all of us would agree that each person should give, I gotta tell you, 
when you look at the research, um, you see that the research, it, it suggests that that doesn't really happen. According to one survey, about 25% of church members give little or nothing to their churches. In fact, I, I, studies suggest that a church our size, um, you know, sometimes people feel, well, they don't really need my gifts. Um, they don't really matter. But I got to tell you, they do. They matter on a practical level um, uh, so that we can help the, the church continue to do its mission, to continue to do its work. But they also matter spiritually. Because if a church or a household is going to experience a blessing of God, its people must give generously. Generous giving is personal. It's also thoughtful. Look what Paul says next there in verse 7. What he says here. Um, each one must give as he has decided in his heart. As he has decided. Um, in other words, don't give impulsively, randomly, haphazardly. Think about what you'll give. Choose your income. Uh, you know, consider your income and your assets and, and then choose accordingly. Talk it over with your spouse or talk it over with good Christian friends. Paul here, he's answering the question that we all have asked when it comes to giving. That is, how much should we give? And Paul's answer is, however much you've decided to give. There's no percentage. He doesn't draw a pie chart. <laughs> Just what you've decided in your heart to give. Paul, see what he's doing here. He's contrasting impulse giving with, um, with planned giving. And he says, look, when it comes to giving, you need to just quit showing up at church uh, without giving this any prior thought. You need to plan ahead. By the way, I gotta, I gotta tell you that one of the uh, positive byproducts that my wife and I have discovered as we give, and we've chosen to give online, one of the positive byproducts of giving online is that you, you, you give ahead of time. You decide what you're gonna give. We decide each year what we're gonna give, and then we set it up online, and it just happens. <laughs> we don't change it. Every month, we don't go, oh, I gotta change it. It just consistent. And that's what happens when you give what you've purposed in your heart to give ahead of time. You become consistent. You give what you have decided when you can make ends meet, and you give what you've decided when you can't make ends meet. So how do you arrive at a commitment? Well, interestingly enough, uh, the New Testament never tells us how much to give. The fact is, the New Testament doesn't discuss tithing because in reality, the people that he's writing to, they're already doing it. You have to remember that um, the early believers, that they were all Jews, and they had been tithing for their whole lives. That is, that give that 10%. They had been trained in that, and they certainly would have brought that practice with them into the church. In other words, when Paul challenges these believers to give generously, he has in mind a, probably a, a greater gift than just 10%. What the New Testament teaches instead of um, that uh, uh, percentage is proportionate giving. 
In fact, back in chapter 8, we looked at this last week, chapter 8, verse 12, Paul says, For if the readiness, eagerness, is there, it's acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. Studies um, reveal that the average Christian gives about 2% of their income. Just 2%. And I want to suggest to you, I don't think that's what Paul had in mind when he writes to this church in Corinth. Third, generous giving is passionate. Do you notice here in verse 7? Each one must give as he has decided what? In his heart. In his heart. Certainly, we should be thoughtful and we should be reasonable about our giving. But he also ought to be passionate about it as well. Listen, if, if our decision is simply some just cold calculation that we have done on, on our calculator, it doesn't qualify. It doesn't qualify as generous. Remember, that word generous means open-hearted. I mean, it should be an expression of our heart as well as, as our head. You want your gift to make a statement, right? A statement about your love for God and and for God's work. You should feel something when you give online or when you, when you write that check, whether it's a feeling of gratitude for God's, you know, his goodness or, or compassion for the people or cause that you are giving to or, or maybe even a twinge of anxiety about the amount that you're giving away. If you don't feel anything when you give, you're probably not being generous. Finally, generous giving is cheerful. Look what Paul says here. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a <laughs> cheerful giver. Listen, if you're simply giving out of a sense of duty because the big heavy-duty pastor, you know, has made you feel guilty, or out of fear um, that God's going to punish you, then I got to tell you, you're better off not giving. God loves a cheerful giver. The truth is, you can't be both generous and grumpy. It doesn't work. Sometimes you'll hear people say, you know, uh, give till it hurts. Okay, now I understand the context of it. They're probably talking about sacrificial giving and and um, uh, you know, there are times that we indeed should give. Um, sacrificially. But I like this saying better. I heard a pastor say once, give till it feels good. <laughs> I like that. You know, give until it feels like you're really making a difference. It really does feel good to be generous. Giving generously means giving personally, thoughtfully, passionately, cheerfully. Now, you, you may be sitting there saying, well, Sutton, um, how can we afford to give like that? I mean, and a simple answer is that God will provide all you need so that you can give all he asks you to give. Look with me at God's promise, verse 8. Look what he says here. And God is able, now I want you to understand this, God is able to make all, if you have a Bible you write in, you know, circle all, 
Notice how many alls there are. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. <laughs> Isn't that an amazing promise? God promises to give you everything you need when you need it according to what you need. Let me say it again. God promises to give you everything you need exactly when you need it according to what you need. God promises to provide what we need. Not, underline, make sure you understand this, not what society tells us we must have. (laughs) I mean, this is not a health and wealth formula whereby you give seed money and then uh, an expectation that God will reward you double the amount, you know? It's not a guarantee that you're going to have financial, you'll never have financial challenges or you'll never have to go without something. Rather, this promise assures us that God knows what we need and that he'll provide all we need when we need it so we can do all that he asks us to do. He might provide for you abundant financial resources or (laughs) he might provide for you wisdom and discipline in order to manage the limited resources that you have. His blessing might come in the uh, form of a, a raise or it might come in the form of a second job or it might come in the form of a spirit of contentment when things are scarce. Remember, we're not talking here about a harvest of stuff, but a harvest of significance. We're not gathering material goods, but spiritual fruit for ourselves and for others. This isn't about meeting a budget shortfall. This is about trusting him in the face of financial pressures. This is about inviting God to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine, so much that it overflows um, through us and glorifies God. In fact, look with me at verses 10 and 11. Look what he says here. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving, thanksgiving, praise, glorifying God. (laughs) See, the same God who supplies the seed to the sower will multiply their seed and increase the harvest of their righteousness. When you place money, when you place time, when you, when you place talent in God's hands, let me tell you, it always bears fruit. When you are generous, God is praised. The more generous, generous you are, the more he is glorified. And friends, that's the law of the harvest. The law of the harvest. It simply says that when you give generously of your money, you'll find everything you have everything that you need. When you give generously of your time, the time you have left um, becomes even more productive and, and, and more meaningful. When you open your heart to others, people open their hearts to you. 
The more generously you give, the, the, the more abundantly you receive, the more you give generously, the other people are blessed and their needs are, are, are met and their spirits are encouraged and the kingdom of God advances and God, and God is glorified. But here's the catch. And you said, ah, oh, I knew there'd be a catch. <laughs> In order to reap bountifully, you have to sow bountifully. And sowing seed is an act of faith. It means that you're going to have to reach into that bucket of seed <laughs> and you're going to have to throw it out. You're going to have to sow it generously and then ask God to grow it. So here's my simple invitation to you this morning. That's simply this. Take a step of faith. Invite God into your finances. No matter what your financial situation, when, when things are good and, and when things are not so good, take advantage of the law of the harvest and sow seed bountifully. Because when you do, you'll discover that God is going to give you all you need so you can do all that he asks you to do. The best way I could think of ending this message on, on giving and transitioning into uh, to the communion table is simply by quoting John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave. He gave. His only son. I thought about that verse again. I thought, I wonder if in heaven, when word got out that God was going to send his son to earth, you know, I wonder if some angel didn't gently come to God and say, hey, God, uh, I mean, aren't you uh, just overdoing it a bit? I mean, your only son. I mean, isn't that a bit much to give? I mean, isn't that a lot? Your son? It was a lot. Let there be no doubt about that. Because we serve a heavenly father who's abundantly generous. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for the sending of your son. Thank you for your abundant generosity. Thank you, Lord, for all you have done for each one of us. Lord, might we respond likewise. Might we be like our Heavenly Father by being generous with all that you have given to us. Your son's precious name, amen.